Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Gun episode number 85. It's the one we've all been waiting for. It's the backyard ball preview here on ITG. I am Wesley Euler. This is In the Gun, your new favorite WVU football podcast. I got the best teammates in the business, the signal caller, Jed Drenning, and the runaway beer truck himself, Mr. Owen Schmidt, in this episode of ITG. As always, brought to you in part by our friends at BetOnline, your number one source for all of your betting needs. You can get the latest odds, lines, matchup reports, and more for baseball, football, boxing, golf, you name it. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live bets and all your favorite casino and card games available to play right on your phone. So head to their website or use your mobile device to sign up today to get in on the action. And make sure you use the promo code BELIEVE when you sign up for 50% off your, or 50% welcome bonus, pardon me, on your first deposit. That's B-L-E-A-V at Bet Online, where the game starts. Gentlemen, as always, headlines to get us started. And this is the headline. It's Backyard Brawl Week. We don't need to talk about anything else, baby. There's Pitt on the horizon, Saturday night, 730 at Mountaineer Field at Milan Pushkar Stadium. You don't want us to talk about anything else going on in college football. You don't want us to talk about anything else going on in the Big 12. You just want to hear how the Mountaineers are going to beat Pitt. And, Jed, I'll start with you here. Um, Weird week for the Pitt Panthers, right? They lose at home in an ugly game against Cincinnati, the first time they had played Cincinnati in a long time, restoring one of their old rivalries there, the River City rivalry, as Pitt and Cincinnati uh, fans have have come to call it. Uh, Cincinnati jumps up to a huge lead. Pitt claws back in it, gets a chance at the end, but is unable. Their quarterback, Phil Jerkovich, goes 10 of 32. The big-time recruit transfer who's from Pittsburgh, started at Notre Dame, went to Boston College, now finishing out as a super, super senior uh, back at the you know in his hometown in Pittsburgh there. Well, he goes 10 for 32 and gets booed by Pitt fans in the process and then goes to his post-game press conference and proceeds to say, uh, if you're a grown man at our game booing us, uh, that's, that's pretty pathetic if you ask me. Pat Narduzzi kind of doubles down on that, right, and says it's just a bunch of losers tweeting from their basement. We don't care what they have to say. It's been a tumultuous week for, uh, for the Pitt football program after, I think, a lot of hope and a lot of optimism coming into the season. Are we kind of uh, getting these guys where we want them, Jed, or might this work the other way and this will galvanize that locker room? It's hard to say, right? Uh, you make some valid points, but let's start with Jerkovich. I, I think he's as advertised, an NFL body type. Uh, you know, he has the kind of skill set that, you know, very highly recruited kid from, you know, from uh, what was it? Pine, uh, Pine, Richland. Pine, Rich, Pine Richland. Yep. yep. Yeah. And uh, so spent a couple of years at Notre Dame as a four star, eventually transferred to Boston College, playing for offensive coordinator, you know, Signetti when he was at Boston College. It's one of the reasons he transferred to Pitt. But uh, let's start with this. Uh, even when you played for a guy previously and you speak the language, it's difficult to parachute into into a, a roster in the offseason. We saw this with JT. Now, JT arrived later in the, in the summer, but uh, even after playing for Graham, he had a very disjointed and rough camp. I mean, we had concerns going into the pit game in the opener, so it's not a seamless transition or not as seamless as you might think, even if you played for your play caller. But Dracovic is 
part of what you saw against Cincinnati was on him. Part of it was on, you know, Pitt's offense at large, and part was Cincinnati's pretty nasty at the point of attack defensively. But I think he's as advertised. Let's first let, let's talk about what he meant to Boston College. I mean, he was in a, a very bad offensive ecosystem at Boston College. He really was. I mean, that offense last year, they had him and they had Zay Flowers, first-round receiver that went to the Ravens, okay? Uh, they were dead last. Uh, in the entire ACC in total offense. They were dead last in the entire ACC in rushing offense. Guys, here's a number for you. Boston College last year averaged 2.1 yards per carry in the run game. That's the offense that he was trying to direct. All they had was the pass game. Now he's gone, and this will give you some sense of what he meant to those guys at Boston College. Now they're dead last in the ACC in passing offense with him and Flowers gone. So he comes to Pitt. He tries to settle in. It's an offense somewhat in transition. I mean, first of all, they had to replace a couple starters up front. Uh, but more so than anything, the security blanket of last year's pit offense was Izzy. Avakanada, right? I mean, this is a kid who ran for 1,400 yards, 20 touchdowns, led the country in touchdown rushes. He's gone. So now they have to find a way to reinvent and restart their run game. In addition to breaking in a new quarterback who's trying to develop some sense of timing uh, with his wide outs and in the perimeter game. And, and meanwhile, this this Signetti offense is heavily predicated on downfield concepts. It's not a West Coast system, which you have this quick game that's an extension of the run game. It's, it's not that tried and true West Coast system. It's more you're, you're pushing the football vertically, and that means pass protection has to hold up because the, the route development takes a while. So when I watched the tape against Cincinnati, and for that matter, even against Duquesne, some of it was him holding the ball too long. Some of it was protection breaking down because, again, when you look at Cincinnati, we talked about this earlier in the week, Jawan Briggs, uh, Dante Corleone, Cincinnati's D-line's legit. An odd front construct, much like what we do. Some of their blitz packages are similar to what we do, but they got nasty studs, and they were a handful for that Pitt offense, and Pitt didn't have any answers. And it just continued. They continued to try and push the football downfield more and more, and through two games, the result has been – 34 pressures against Phil Dracovic, which is easily the most in the ACC. Uh, I mean, Cincinnati, for those who didn't see the game, was all over him. I mean, he was harassed for the he took some big. He took some big hits. He took some – I texted you guys a couple of the shots when I was watching on tape. I was like, dude, you can't hold on to it like that. I mean, he's just begging some, to take I, a some, shot. But... Some, of those, some of those sacks he took, I couldn't believe he didn't fumble. I mean, he's just getting exactly. blindsided. Yeah, That's a big-handed 6'5 kid, right? Otherwise, you're exactly right, Wes. He would have. So when, when, you, when you look at the analytics and study some of the metrics, they support what I saw for the balance of 60 minutes, not just against Cincinnati, but sometimes he, even in a good performance and a solid performance against Walker a week earlier, he, sometimes he held on to it a little long then. But but uh, let's start with this. He holds on to the football on average. His average time to throw is 4.19 seconds. That's the second highest in the ACC. Now, for a frame of reference, that might mean nothing to you without a number, okay? another number to compare it to. So four point, basically 4.2 seconds. He's holding on to the football. Garrett is 3.4. You see what I'm, I'm getting at here? Now, ours is more RPO-based, and, and there are more quick answer, quick delivery throws attached to it. But here's another one for you. There's a number that they track, and it's called intended air yards. So that's basically the number of yards that all your passes travel in the air, whether they're caught or not. They stack that all up, and it's a category called IEY, intended air yards. 
his intended air yards, and this is where you you start to to the numbers start to tell the story, are fifth most in Power Five. Now, what's interesting about that? He's fifth most in intended air yards, but he has twenty three fewer pass attempts than any of the guys in front of him. Jeez, that starts to tell you how much and how often and how frequently they're pushing the football deep. You're just running go He's, routes. Well, deeper concepts, a lot of go routes with some other things mixed in there, but he's hitting less than 50% of his throws. You talked about after coming off a 10 for 32 performance, it's hard not to be hitting less than 50% of your throws. So he's thrown the ball 55 times, 27 receptions or 27 completions. Now to get a little deeper, 35 of his 55 been on target, 39 of his 55 have even been catchable. So that gives you some indication as what's been going on here. But I keep going back to that pressure number, 34 pressures through just two games. The lion's share of those, of course, came against Cincinnati. Now, Pitt's most targeted receiver is Bub Means, a returning starter from a year ago. Very talented, large-framed kid. He's a handful, right? But through two games, they it hasn't really clicked. They've targeted him 15 times. He has two catches. So, again, it's not like a bunch of bubble screens. They're pushing the football deep, trying to take their shots, and it so far just hasn't worked. Now, Bub Means, let's go back to that number. I talked about the intended air yards. Bub Means, Bub Means alone has 333 intended air yards, the most by a wide margin in the ACC. So you're starting to get some feel as to what the struggles have been all about. Now, when they fell behind, I mean, you know the DNA of Pat Narduzzi. He's a defensive-oriented head coach. That's his pedigree. He wants to run the football and have balance. That's one of the reasons that he kind of was at odds with Mark Whipple, who was the coordinator when Kenny Pickett was there, putting up those big numbers in the pass game, right? So he brings in Signetti. Whipple goes off to Nebraska. Here comes Signetti for a more, much more balanced approach and philosophy on the offensive side. And, again, when you had Izzy as a 1,400-yard rusher a year ago, it really worked. They had five returning starters on that offensive line last year. It, it really worked. But so far, again, three starters, well, really two returning starters, and they have a transfer from Cal who was a starter. So it's not quite the same offensive line from a continuity standpoint. It takes a couple games to gel, right? Now, Bartholomew's back at tight end. That's ultimately going to help them. They do have a couple receivers back on the perimeter, but those receivers, they lost their quarterback in Keaton Slowis. Now, I did feel when I said this on the podcast, I thought Keaton, Keaton Slovis struggled last year. Second lowest completion percentage in the ACC. Same type of thing. He was taking it and chucking it and not hitting his shots. He's off to BYU. I thought that they would get better play from the quarterback spot, more production from the quarterback spot. And I still think over the course of time they will. Let's hope it doesn't start this week against West Virginia. But they haven't had that run game to lean on. Now, if I'm forecasting what this might look like, you have to figure out here. Here's what is going on in the pit offensive meeting room. Okay. They're studying tape and they're watching our struggles on the back end. And they're saying, Hey, there's some opportunities against this West Virginia secondary for whatever reason through two games, they've struggled and they haven't solved all those issues from a year ago quite yet. So we think we have some opportunities, especially as a team that loves to push it downfield anyway, by our very nature, that's our DNA. So how can we find a way to hold up? and protect long enough to capitalize on some of the shots that we think we can make the most of downfield. And that's what they're talking about. Meanwhile, as they're having this conversation in the offensive meeting room, the door opens up behind them, and guess who pokes his head in? Pat Narduzzi. Hey, 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 you remember that last week when you threw on the first three plays of the game? I don't like that. That's not what I'm about. 
All right. You better be mixing the run game in there and find a way to establish it. I know you haven't been able to do so do it so far. I mean, they really struggled to run the ball against Cincinnati. Part of it was they fell behind. Part of it, again, Cincinnati is really salty in that front seven. So somewhere between those two things, the truth will lie. I figure they want to take their shots. They know they have to max protect to do it. And at the same time, they saw a Duquesne quarterback slip outside, break contain, buy an extra three or four seconds for more stress and maximize pressure on our secondary. So I would say that's going to be part of their plan as well, kind of move the launch point and see if they can get Djurkovic outside the pocket so he's a moving target to buy the receivers a little more time to try and pick on our back end. So West Virginia, first and foremost, is going to have to find a way to pressure him. But at the same time, if if they come out and establish the run, oh, and that's going to make throwing the football a whole lot easier for them. So I think it's going to be critical for us on some level to try and make them somewhat one-dimensional, kind of like we did last year. We we thought that they would have some success running against us last year, and we kind of corralled them. So we're going to have to find need to find a way to do it once again this year. Now, I, I have in front of me here, and I'll toss to you guys to get your thoughts. I kept the the two deep from Acrosure Stadium last year. I just oh, wanted gosh, to burn it. Burn it's it. interesting to see the changes is, is why I like to look at these things, like in the lineups, the changes. So defensively, which is what we're talking about first, defensively, West Virginia returns basically five starters. Well, really four and a half, depending on how you want to look at it. Jared Bartlett started in that game. All three D-linemen are gone. Dante, Jordan Jefferson, Taj Olsen. So Jared Bartlett, okay, Bandit, he started last year. At, at Will Linebacker was Lance Dixon, now in the mix at Spear. Uh, Lee Coba started at Mike. Uh, Aubrey Burks obviously started in the back end. And Marcus Floyd started in that game, and he's projected to most likely be back against Pitt Saturday. So those are the five that are in the mix. So they've kind of seen this offensive construct before. Uh, it's just how similar will it be to last year? I don't know the answer to that. Are they going to push it deep early and try and get a lead and then run the ball? They're going to try and mix the run game in, do both. What are your guys' thoughts? I mean, honestly, for me, I, well, I mean, a lot was just said there. So I'll, I'll kind of, you know, review what, I, what I'm thinking as far as on top of what you said. Um, I think that loss last week puts them in a little bit of a salty nature. Mm-hmm. I think not saying so much they're overlooking us, but I feel like that's kind of always the attitude with Pitt in West Virginia. Pitt always kind of just says, hey, you know, we're going to come in there. We're going to dominate. We're going to do our thing. Uh, losing to Cincinnati, I think, you know, I'm sure this week's worth of practice has been probably amped up a little bit. Um, so I'm sure they're going to be on edge a little bit as far as how Narduzzi brings them into the game. Um, definitely going to try to establish the run against as far as West Virginia goes. I hope our D-line just keeps improving and builds off the last two weeks. Um, I think because we have so much kind of newness there and guys who haven't gotten a ton of reps, I think, you know, we're starting to kind of feel a little bit of a groove up front. So hopefully we can do well against shutting down their run. Uh, As far as our side of the ball goes, you know, bringing the run game, we got to establish the run early have to establish the run early. And then I'd like to see the shots that we took uh, basically last week to try to open them up on defense as well and kind of control that whole deal. But I think a key for us, as far as defensively goes, we're going to have to really baby the secondary and make sure that we're making plays 
um, you know, and, and, and not, you know, it, it's okay to bend, right. But we don't want to break. We don't want to give up yep. them big plays kind of like we did in Penn state. I don't think it's an yeah. accident knowing that again, I'm looking at snap counts from the Duquesne game. I don't think it's an accident that Malachi Ruffin had 48 snaps, right? When you look at that mix, uh, again, I, I think so far through two games, Benny Bishop has kind of been as advertised. I mean, he 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 looks so far to be what we were hoping to get through the portal when we brought him in. I mean, a guy that can play the ball, a guy uh, that is most comfortable, I think, in coverage with the football in flight. Now, at the other spot, it's been it's been a more of a battle. Uh, again, Montre Miller hasn't played much through two games. It, he's not going to play this weekend, so uh, he's not walking through that door. So we, we need to find an answer. And for whatever we, reason, when, when you look at Andrew Wilson-Lamb, a guy that looks the part, a guy that has the frame, a guy with the skill set and the talent and the tools, uh, I mean, Andrew Wilson-Lamb's a guy that was – an elite receiver in high school. So it's not like a guy, he's a guy without ball skills who's not comfortable with the football in flight. But for whatever reason, the confidence hasn't been there through limited snaps in two games when the ball was in flight. So I, I think one of the reasons that Malachi Ruffin ended up getting those 48 snaps, Malachi Ruffin might be a guy with a much more limited skill set, but he's mm -hmm. kind of the chihuahua in the room. Uh, he thinks he's the size of a, of a German mm -hmm. Shepherd, right? And, and he has the almost the perfect mentality for a corner. Uh, you're going to beat me, but I'm going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. And I'm going to be aggressive and aggressive. And I'm not going to back off just because you beat me. I, I always go back to the same anecdote when I think of him. Last year in the finale at Oklahoma State, made one of the most boneheaded plays you're ever going to see with that attempted strip and gives you the, yeah, Wes is signaling, if you're not watching on YouTube, the incomplete sign. The ball's caught. Meanwhile, the Oklahoma State receiver takes off upfield when he should have been tackling the kid. So he could have easily gone in the tank after that. I mean, he had to be embarrassed as all get out. Instead, later in the same game, the final sequence of snaps with Oklahoma State's offense on the field, he played a critical role with two passes defended to help us seal that win and stop them. That's the mentality of a corner that you want. In other words, he doesn't let limitations from a skill standpoint get in his way or hurt his confidence. He has like, I remember Coach Wallace told us this when, when he was coaching at Colorado. He, he said they, they brought the, these, these specialists in to do psyche evals and they wanted to do personality profiles to see what type of personality profile would best fit each position on a football team, right? And you know the personality or disposition that best fit the ideal or perfect corner? The same one that fits a jet fighter pilot. Short memory. You Short can't memory. think back half a second or you'll pay for it. Yeah. Even if you make a mistake, you better not be dwelling on your mistake. You better be all eyes ahead. That's the mentality Malachi Ruffin has. Now you need to work towards developing that same type of mentality with some of the other corners. I mean, Beanie has some of that as well. But the skill's there, and now it's just a matter you got to gain some of that confidence because, again, you're facing a guy. One more number for you is if you don't understand enough already, 29% of Phil Dracovich's attempts have been 20-plus yards downfield. They're going to take their shots. Yeah. No doubt. And that also is the most in the ACC, the highest rate in the ACC. They're going to take their shots. Even if they establish the run, all they're going to do is use that to their advantage to go play action and 
take their shots, but they're going to take their shots. So be ready for it. Now, we do have some coverage wrinkles in play. After the Penn State game, there were some things that we worked at, some kinks, uh, but you didn't want to put them on tape against Duquesne for obvious reasons. So part of it will be hopefully addressed through scheme. But at the end of the day, it's it's when they're trying to go vertical and you're trying to stop them, it's Jimmy's and Joe's. I mean, there's no secret yeah. here. Now, you can have some impact by doing what Cincinnati did and, and applying the heat in terms of winning some individual matchups to the point of attack, chopping your front up and getting some pressure in behind it. But uh, at the same time, you're not always going to get home fast enough, especially if they're trying to match protect and take their shot. So that's what I'm looking at with this, guys. I, I think that's well said. I, I got a, a question for you here, Jed. But first, yep. I wanted to thank our friends at Toothman Ford as well, too, for being a presenting sponsor of this episode of ITG. We all know cars cost less than Grafton. Make sure you're checking out Toothman Ford for all your vehicle needs. They do so much to support us, to support our student-athletes through NIL. Yeah. Toothman Ford cars cost less in Grafton. Rodney Hammond is is kind of their feature back now, yeah. right? Yeah. And, right. you know, you mentioned Izzy earlier. He had a great season last year, 1,400 yards, like you said. He was, a, I think, a fifth-round pick of the New York Jets, right? So so an, an NFL guy. He's a yeah. He's, he's, he's a good player. Had himself a really good preseason. You know, it's still early in the NFL season, obviously, but he had himself a really good preseason as a rookie. Good player. There's some people within the pit program that said, yeah, we know Izzy's great, but we actually think Hammond has the better all-around skill set as a running back. He has Warren thing going west, but, don't you think? Well, I, I do. Yes, I agree with that. That's a, that's a good example. But my question is, you as you laid out correctly, Narduzzi likes to run the football. He wants yep. a balanced. He wants a balanced offense. He likes to run the football. He likes to be able to control the line, stop the run on defense, and run the ball on offense, and then work everything else off of there. I mean, this is his ninth year as the head coach at Pitt. There's yep. a large sample size of how he wants them to play. Hammond had six touches last week against Cincinnati. Is is that the just because they hand. fell behind? Is that yes. that's just because they yes. fell behind so early and had to throw to try I and catch it's up? A function of that, a lot of it is that's a great question. Uh, a lot of it was that. I, I think they planned to feature him far more prominently. He's kind that of a shocked, ball that ball shocked ball, like me. Five, Six nine, touches. two bills plus. Uh, he kind of fell out of the game plan. They, they they found themselves in a chase position, in a trail position. But just look at the culture of what, what Narduzzi has built at Pitt. Four years in a row. It's not an accident. Four years in a row, they've led the ACC in rush defense. Now, you don't do that with a quarterback going 10 for 32 every week. Right. You do that right. by a, an efficient pass game and running the ball to take the air out of the game with balance, right? So, again, that's the part of me that if there's when, – when you look at the influence of a defensive-oriented head coach, that's the influence. If his fingerprints are going to be on the game plan offensively, that's what, what it's going to look like. Hey, this is nonsense. Enough of this 10 for 32 stuff. Stop with these deep shots. Establish the daggone run game and shorten the game. Help my defense out. Our strength of this football team is stopping the run. And we can't do that when you're going 10 for 32 throwing a football. So all those things are interlinked, right? So that's a great question. I'm quite certain that, again, a little bowling ball type, when he gets uncorked, he's a handful. He is. He's a handful. But Cincinnati jumped right out in large measure running the football. They popped some big ones, built that lead. And the next thing you know, the call sheet Signetti has looks a lot different when you're, you know, falling behind by a couple scores so quickly. So I, I think in a more ideal circumstance, they would have liked to have balance. They would have liked to give him 18 or 20 touches. 
and it just got out of control and spiraled. And e even when you look at it, like part of it was in the second half, and this is where a bad situation tends to get worse. Now they found themselves much more predictable offensively because they had to throw the ball, right? So what ends up happening? They were double teaming Dante Corleone. And I'm, I'm telling you, we'll get into more Dante Corleone later in the season. Guys, he, he might be the best D lineman in the Big 12. He's nasty, okay? So in the first half, they were double teaming him. Well, in the second half, he was getting singled up because they had to be more predictable in what they were trying to do, and they didn't have the benefit of unpredictability. So they had to do a little more desperate, be a little more desperate in terms of what their play selection was. But so once things fall off script, a lot of bad stuff is downstream from that. And that's what Pitt found out from an offensive play selection standpoint. They didn't go into that game saying, hey, he's our bowling ball. He's our new feature back. He's trying to replace a 1400 yard rusher. Let's give him the ball six times against Cincinnati. No, that's not by <laughs> design. You know, that's that's not what that that's not what that conversation through the week sounded like. But that's just the way things unfolded. That makes sense. It does. And that's what I figured, but I just wanted to pick your brain on that as well, too. Okay. Before we split the block to the other side here, I got a question for Big O. First. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, I was going to say this. Owen, you made a good point, and I want you to talk about this, too. We've talked through camp, and so has Jordan Leslie, about the fact that we might have an eight or nine-man rotation. Okay. Well, we got a Sonny Redwood back this week. Guys, it might be a 10-man rotation, because here comes Corey McIntyre doing some really cool things. So from a snap count standpoint, again, once the game got out of control, we eased off the gas and we started in a very liberal way substituting along that defensive line. So Eddie V led all D linemen with 33 snaps. Lockhart, Sean Martin obviously coming next. D Hawkins up to 18 snaps. We want to see that continue to be in that ballpark or right around it. Tommy with 17 snaps. He earned that with his production against Penn State. Jalen Thornton, 17 snaps. This is all very meaningful in terms of what the future rotation of this D-line might look like. Fatorma Moba, 11 snaps, so he hit double digit. And Hammond Russell, remember, we talked about the impact he had last week and very limited snaps. This week, he doubled it up to nine, so we're getting there. I mean, that game last week was meaningful for this D-line rotation because you got to keep those guys fresh, but to keep them fresh and to substitute the way you want, each one, not each one, but it's kind of divided or dichotomized. This this group is different skill sets for different kids. So yeah. we, we said, hey, if you're ahead of schedule and forcing the offense off schedule, you can choose the substitutions you want. And that's kind of what happened last week, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they just, they got to step up, right? They're going to have to have a big game. They got a big target to hit. Uh, they're going to have to put some pressure on them and get through that pit offensive line. And, you know, like you were mentioning before, um, kid likes to extend the plays, right? So we're going to have to be able to contain him and uh, just basically make him make him feel it, man. We're going to have to make him feel it. Guys, you, you look yeah. at a 6'5", 240 kid, and you think statue, he has 10 rushing touchdowns in his career. He's sneaky athletic. So he can yeah. move around, and he can certainly move around enough to extend a play. Yeah, absolutely. Can. Have to be big game by the front front guys. Yep. Yeah, without a doubt, you got to keep him under duress. You got to try and make them one dimensional. You can't let him get comfortable back there because he and does have communication the... issues. So I'd yeah. love to be yeah. in position to try and confuse him. That's what I'd like to do, because if you can if you can induce any level of indecision, that's where the big plays are going to come. That's where the sacks are going to come. Right. But you got to get him off schedule to be able to do that. But go ahead, Wes. 
So here's before we spin the block. Here's the question I wanted to ask the Big O. Um, you know, Pitt plays Cincinnati last week at home, right? Night game, rival. By their standards, pretty big crowd, right? Without WVU or Penn State or Notre Dame being in town, you know, um, it, that that game is it plays out weird too because Pitt falls behind big time early and then they kind of claw back into it and you get the hope of like okay, you know they 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 intercept the football, they intercept Cincinnati yeah. with like three minutes left and you think okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna tie this thing, we're gonna win this thing after being down twenty points in the second half. This is amazing, and then that door gets shut. And Cincinnati ends up holding on to the victory. Now they have to re, you know, so you get up for that rivalry game, River City rivalry, Cincinnati, back and forth, kind of, well, not back and forth, but an emotional game in its own way of feeling like you're out of it and back in it and then getting your hopes crushed. Now you got to re gear, go on the road for your biggest rival in West Virginia. Um, and I know like Cincinnati is, you know, Pitt's biggest rival is WVU and Penn state, even though them and Penn state have that weird, like they want to kiss each other, but they don't want to kiss each other. And they each think that they're better. <laughs> they each think that they're, they're sanctimonious. Like we're better than you. No, we're better than you. No, we're unrivaled. No, we, we, you need us. No, you need us. It's not Penn state, but to go from Cincinnati to WVU, right? Did you ever have Owen back-to-back -back rivalry games like that did you ever do louisville and pitt or you know pitt and syracuse something do you remember ever have it like i wonder what the psychology of back-to-back -back rivalry games is like that's a, that's a good man go ahead and talk i'm gonna look it up on yeah we we might have honestly he well you know when we we were such an underdog from the start of my career at first and then you know built into this you know, kind of train that really was was chugging along for those three years that I was there. I would say that every game kind of had its its, you know, and that was the Big East. It almost felt like kind of every week was a rivalry it's true. Game just because it's of true. You know, I mean, we were just so close. And the but, history there, and yeah, you, you know, what I mean, and uh, I would say even looking at it from that perspective, you, you know, not really remembering if we did have games like that and, and we could have, uh, yeah, Louisville, Cincinnati pit in Oh six, three in a ooh. row. Yeah. yeah. So there's, that was so, the number five Louisville team that, that game down there. Yeah. So that's when we lost. Right. And then we end up, you said Louisville, then pit Cincinnati, Cincinnati pit. You guys won both yeah. of those two, right? 06. Oh, wait, that was Oh five, right? Oh six. Oh six. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah, so I'm it, emotionally. I mean, they're all emotional, you know. And then I know some of those were OT games, so the games were just even, you know, kind of blown even more out of proportion. But I think the coaches did a really good job back then for us, just getting ready for. You know, there was always the hype uh, that they had put on us uh, as far as you know, the other team, Rod does a great job. Uh, and so does the coaches just getting everyone prepared um, for those games, whether it would have just been someone, you know, whoever, and then a rivalry game after that, uh, like even Virginia Tech or something, or, uh, sure, sure. You, you know, but emotionally, I would say it's, or, uh, you know, kind of like how you, how you uh, said the question each game was just as important. That was the emphasis that I feel like we always put on every game. So I'm not saying that 
you, you know, weren't thinking it, of it in that context. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It it wasn't like that. It it was it was they were all within due respect, just as important as the other one. The next next game's yes. the biggest game. Yeah. Yes. And you know, back then we played Pitt at the end of the season. Yeah. So as God intended. Exactly. It, for real. You know, Thanksgiving. That was the game. That's right. That was yeah. the uh perfect. That was the game. Eat your but, turkey and hunt so your panther, right baby. There. Chef's yes, good. yes, yes, yes. But Rich was, you're right, Owen. Rich was very good, Wes, at sensing when his team wasn't to the level of focus that he thought they should be. And and by midweek, Wednesday, Thursday, he let you know. And um, and Owen, the line he always fell back to, his default line was, they will black embarrass your ass. I, you remember the little... Uh, He'd shift his hips and finger go down, and they will embarrass. Jed does such a good. Will embarrass, and you're sitting there, whoa, you know. But he (laughs) he recognized when you weren't dialed in, and you you got that little attention getter, right? (laughs) He gave it to you. He he did. I remember being on the business end of that a handful of times when we were at Glenville, but and I'm sure Uh he did it at West Virginia. But but he he was like Owen said, he was pretty good at that. Well, yeah. I don't think I don't think being dialed in will be a problem Saturday night for either no. team. No, not at all. Now think about this, Wes, because Owen and I we were debating. You know, it'd be cool. Pitt came in two and zero because then you could steal their thunder. Sure, but, but what, which is better to knock them off when they're two and zero and all excited and amped up, or to send them off losers to the preseason number fourteen and number thirteen teams in the Big Twelve media poll. You know, the the latter and even more so, yes. Jed, kind of the picture that I painted at the start of the show of some of the the tumultuous nature of the week that they're, you know, their quarterback yes. getting booed and then and then ripping on the fans and Not the Narduzzi right. doubling. I would be I would love to be like it would be great if they would have rolled Cincinnati and right now they were ranked like 22nd or 23rd in the nation, something like that. Right. That That would certainly be that would certainly be fun. But you have an opportunity to knock them to one and two where their only win is against Wofford. Uh, before they even hit conference play, which suddenly, all of a sudden, like we make jokes about the ACC and how easy, but they got UNC, they got Florida State, they got Notre Dame. They, I mean, they, they, they yeah, they'd be four. one and two with losses to the preseason number thirteen and Correct. number fourteen. And then, and then there'd be the, the there'd 12. be the Big That's Twelve the, bragging be the thing there, part. and yes, and shows you listen, how what the media would know, right? exactly and that's the thing too i mean you guys know i'm pretty dialed in on these things with my job and my connections and the people i work with and all those things like there's there's some real turbulence around the program this week which is insane to me because they they've won 20 games in the last two years like they won an acc championship 11 wins in the 80s then they came back last year and won nine games they got 20 wins in the last two seasons they had a heisman finalist heisman finalist a couple years ago they've got back-to-back seasons of first round draft picks in the nfl draft player of the year acc defensive player of the year back-to-back first round picks in the draft all these they've had like 12 guys drafted the last two drafts 11 guys drafted the last two years something crazy like that we beat them and let's put the court hold on real real quick real quick just go ahead after after one sloppy loss to Cincinnati, they're like, "I'm done with this team. I'm done with this coach. <laughs> yeah. I'm done with this quarterback." So to to take gasoline and match and throw it on and to be the ones to throw them into that fire, I mean, that to me is the that's what I'm licking my lips and and you know my my chops here hoping to do. I mean, we could really really send them into a spiral potentially. Yeah, 
And, and so what I wanted to ask you, because you, you're exactly right. I mean, they they struggled against Cincinnati. The fans started turning on them pretty quickly. If if to put the cart before because the horse, because that's because that's what that's what pit fans do. They only support all, a winner. all six of them. They got upset. And they, they don't. They only support a winner. I mean, God forbid we've had the best two back-to-back seasons we've had in forty you years, but we play one bad game against Cincinnati, and I'm out. I, I did Pittsburgh media. I told you yesterday, and I asked the dude off air. I was like, "Well, hey, what's the vibe? Ah, they're still talking about the Steelers' law." I'm like, "See, it's just yep. so different in that world." But let me you ask. Know what? You it's that. funny, real quick. It's funny you okay. say that, Jed, because the flagship station of of the Pitt Panthers, they've had a lot of conversation this week of like. Oh, it doesn't the backyard brawl kind of feel blah this year. I mean, both fan bases are down on their team, which again is hilarious when you consider the last two seasons that Pitt has had versus the last two seasons that we've had. Yes. It's just, it's not quite the same and it's a little blah. And, and, and. Listen, maybe on your side, because all you care about is the Steelers and Pitt when things are going well, right? But here in Morgantown, where we haven't hosted those guys since 2011, where that loudmouth head coach has been taking unsolicited shots at our fans, at our program, at our stadium, at our academics, everything over the last year, our side is ready to go. Yeah, don't project your Steelers sadness and your lack of wanting to be a Pitt fan through the hard times. And I use air quotes because if your hard times is losing a one-score game to Cincinnati when you've had your best two years in four decades. I'd say you've been pretty spoiled lately. But yeah, that's it. They only get hype for a winner, Jed. So despite 20 wins over the last two seasons, which is more than they've had since Dan Marino was in school in the 80s, one sloppy loss to one sloppy yes. loss and I'm one sloppy loss to Cincinnati and I'm out. I'm just a I'm just a frustrated Steeler fan. Well, Dorks. here's what I want to ask you. If they lose to us, knock on wood, let's put the cart before the horse, and let's just again. I like to to live in hope and goodwill. So let's yes, let's assume yes. that's the case. Owen's laughing. Owen's Owen's are, enjoying this. Are they one and four? Because they go to North Carolina. Now here's here's North Carolina situation. North Carolina is Minnesota at home this week. So either they'll be playing a a three and zero North Carolina team or a North Carolina team that just lost and is pissed off to Minnesota. I don't see Drake May losing twice in a row at home. So, and for that matter, I don't see Drake May at 3-0 and losing to Pitt. So it's a tough situation they're stepping into if they don't find a way to get their act together. Now, they very well could. This is an even matchup, sure. and depending on sure. where you look, they're actually favored. So that could happen. But could we send them spiraling to one and yes. four? Could this be the loss that we talked in the last episode? I think if we beat them, it's already one game that, that was two losses because I think they lost to Cincinnati in part because they were looking ahead to us. That had something to do with that. So does one game turn into three losses? Is there a hangover? And can I, It would be so difficult for them with all the questions to recover and go to North Carolina. North Carolina has already survived their annual tilt with Appalachian State, their annual scare, right? So they got that behind them. Yeah. So that's an explosive, dynamic, dangerous North Carolina. Jed. Jed, I, there's been there's been pit people this week that have said, I hope Narduzzi leaves for Michigan State after this year. Like, really? Do you remember where your program was nine years ago when he got wow. there? When you were going wow. through Todd Graham and Mike Haywood and Paul Christ and a new coach every every season or two because nobody wanted to be with your mediocre jabroni program that nobody cares about? Well, it was like, one of Todd Graham's 
seven, no, eight dream jobs. So I, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And then his dream changed to Arizona state well, and then it changed to something yeah. else. But, but <laughs> there it's, it's weird because again, when you look at the last two seasons that they've had, you would oh. think that they would have a grace period. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like you would, you would think there'd be a longer leash there, Absolutely. but I think they come down to Morgantown and lose and they're one and two all of a sudden after, I mean, those fans expected to have another 10 win season this year and they're one and two all of a sudden with losses to their two rivals on the schedule. And they still got a UNC and a ranked Duke team and Florida state. Who's one of the best teams in the country and noted a trip to Notre Dame as well too, to South Bend. They will turn on, uh, they will turn on loudmouth. D bag of the year Narduzzi real quick, and they will certain they will certainly turn on Phil Jerkovich, who you know would have three starts and his only win would be against Wofford, despite oh the Pine Rich and the homecoming kid and Phil Jerkovich this summer saying all Whipple kids should go to Pitt, even though he went to two other colleges and spurned Pitt twice before he finally decided to go there. It's like half the Whippeals coming home. I mean that that's just horrible. You know, so that's his plan through the portal. Yeah, he got the guy, the kid, the safety from Florida, who was a who was a kid as well, well too. Kid coming back to Southwest. Yeah, India. yeah. Um, I mean, it, listen, if you want to put the cart before the horse, I've been trying not to get excited about that possibility this week because they know too. I mean, don't, listen, I talk a lot of trash, but their their fans are aware of what's going on. Like they know that we're not exactly over the moon about the status of our football program, right? We've had three losing seasons in the last four years. The first time that's happened since the seventies, like pit fans know this too. They make all those jokes online about Neil Brown and about our record and how we, you know, haven't gone to a, didn't go to a bowl game last year and all these different things um, for them to, to, to lose to us, to that team, to that, the, you know, a program that's in kind of the state of flux that we're in Um and to do it when they thought they were going to win 10 games again this season and Jerkovic was going to be the the dude. And um, it, it's it would double, be incredible. It would be it's incredible. Win. In other words, what you want, what's, what's a perfect environment or scenario in sports, you want to damage your rival. Correct. To the maximum possible. But Correct. at the same time, you want to put yourself in the best position possible. And it would serve both those masters. It really would. If, if we could win this game and sit be sitting there at two and one on Sunday, getting ready for Texas Tech, who we haven't beat since 2018. Uh, wow. Can you imagine a Texas Tech team that has its own questions, right? So if we could take care of business, not only take care of business, but maybe it's something that I mean, each game you're looking for some question to be answered. Like you come out of the Penn State game, and as frustrating as it might have been, you're looking at it saying, hey, that D-line, eh, not so bad, right? I Maybe we got something there. You come out of the Duquesne game, you're thinking, hey, this Hudson Clement kid in the past game, and whoa, what's going on? So what might be the thing if you come out of a win against Pitt that you're adding to that stockpile of positives that you try and build forward and string some things together? I mean, yeah. it's all about stacking pennies. And when you're trying to stack a penny that looks like Pitt, that's never a penny. That's a 50 cent piece or a Susan B. Anthony dollar. I mean, whatever you want to call it or a gold nugget, whatever it might be. But if you can stack that when you're getting ready for Texas Tech and building towards something while at the same time damaging the daylights out of pit, it just doesn't get any better than that. And that's again, that's the opportunity 
you know, I mean, we're, we're sitting with a guy here on the podcast who, you know, obviously Pitt derailed a lot in 2007 now to Owen's credit and all those guys credit. They were able to keep that thing humming, went and won the Fiesta Bowl, rolled right into the Geno and Stedman and Tavon era. And, and we did not fall face off of a cliff after losing Rod, after losing that opportunity, all those things. But you beat this team. Uh, their season spirals. I mean, spot, maybe they still go six and six or seven and five or something like that. Right. But certainly not the type of year that they thought they were going to have Pat Narduzzi leaves because he thinks, all right, these people here never look, look at what I did where I took this program and now they're crushing me after one down season me in front of 1700 people <laughs> in front of 1700 people, all wearing, all, in all, wearing, all, wearing black, all wearing black and gold. It, it and has... I gotta go, I gotta go to Steelers practice and that West Euler jabroni with the good hair is for some reason wearing a West Virginia hat. What's he doing? I mean, it has it, a, it, it could it could be some nice payback in that regard. It's certainly. easy to say, and it's low hanging fruit, uh, and and credit where credits due. I think all things being equal, Narduzzi's Narduzzi's got that thing as humming as well as you could expect. Again, twenty Narduzzi. wins first time since eighty one, eighty two. He just he just it, almost it said Narduzzi there, didn't he? Owen? Right. He I mean, if you can't win twenty Narduzzi. games and have enough goodwill in two in two years, have enough goodwill. To say, hey, that's enough. We still got your back. We're still going to support you. We're still going to turn out. They never turn out. They weren't turning out when you were winning. Jed, Jed, we, Jed, we had more people at a home game against Duquesne than they did the first time playing Cincinnati yes, in a decade. Cincinnati. I mean, I'm sitting there watching the game tape, and it hits the scoreboard. And sometimes you see crowd shots, and I'm like, wow, this is just. And you know what's funny too? A good a good handful of those uh, people at the pit Cincinnati. Well, there was obviously a decent amount of Cincinnati fans who travel. You know, it's four and a half hours away, not too far border. You know, border states that kind of thing. There were also a good amount of San Francisco 49ers that just went to, because they were in town for the Steeler game the next day, and they were like, "Ah, oh, we can get a ticket to this game for six bucks. Let's go." You know, that's a college football game, ACC, Big Twelve. Let's do it. I and 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 we all know too. Pat Narduzzi is a is a prideful guy. I think we can say that in the least. So, I mean, yeah, I could see him saying, "F these people. Look what I've done for you for a decade. Look where you guys lost to Youngstown State at home before I took over." Youngstown State, one double A, went into like, Heinz hey, Field. At least I'm losing to Western Michigan. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> at least I'm losing to Western Michigan. Yeah. But, but, and again, I don't, you, anybody who's listened to this podcast when we talk about Pitt knows my feelings on Pat Narduzzi. All right. I mean, there's a lot of people in Pittsburgh that don't like Pat Narduzzi. There's a lot of people within his own building that don't like Pat Narduzzi because he's the D bag of the year. But look at where that program look at where that program was nine years ago. They lost to Youngstown State. They were losing to Ohio. Not Ohio State, Ohio. Ohio the Bobcats, before, baby. Yeah. Before, before he took over. So he does deserve credit in that regard of taking them from perennial five wins a season to 20 wins in two years and ACC champions and first-round picks and, and Heisman yeah. finalists. He, like, Narduzzi deserves credit for that. But he's also the type of guy who could, I think, yes, say, F these people. I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere where they appreciate me because look at what I've done. It's never going to be enough. In the modern era of college football, uh, the game has changed so many ways, and we've talked about all of them. When when Pitt was good, when they won the national title in '76 with Kavanaugh, and, and when you know, and when, when you know Richter Cano and and Dan Marino, and they had that run. Okay, it was a different world in college football. Now the the attention span of the average sports fan in America has dissipated. It's like people have the attention span of a ferret on speed now. Uh, so in a place like Pittsburgh. Where And we've talked about this before. When Andy Van Slyke came and played for the Pirates, he came from a baseball city in St. Louis where he played for the Cardinals. And he showed up in Pittsburgh and he said, when you play for the Pirates in the city of Pittsburgh, you very quickly learn it's our Steelers 
are Penguins, the Pirates. He didn't even mention Pitt. I mean, that's really <laughs> all you need to know. It's that's how much of an afterthought. Well, Jed, that's because they're not they're not a Pittsburgh sports team. They're a university located in Pittsburgh, but they're not a Pittsburgh in, in sports Oakland, team. Right? <laughs> so that that's that's kind of what you're looking at. So so for Narduzzi to do what he has done in this modern era, no, it's impressive. It's it so is difficult to attract and keep the attention of fans in a place like that. I, I think he's maximized that brand, I and agree. he has to be looking at it with his head on a swivel, thinking there's nothing else I can do, and this is the best. This is as good as this gets. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to bring recruits in to a half-empty stadium, and this is as good as it gets. But my rival last year, and it took my rival getting here to fill this stadium to the point. The only thing you care enough about to come fill this stadium to give me the largest crowd in the history of the city of Pittsburgh is my rival coming. Otherwise, nobody shows up for anybody else. What is this all about? So he yep. has to, on some level, feel frustrated in that he has maximized this thing, and now he's just trying to keep it humming. But right. But the other, you know, the other side of that too, Jed, is they come to Morgantown, they get a victory, it kickstarts their season, and they go nine and three. And then right? they go I mean, and they have their full energy. Maybe they upset North Carolina. Right, right. You know, and then maybe they win a bowl game, and all of a sudden they're ten and three, and they've got thirty wins in the last three years. And and you know, they're still only forty, fifty thousand people there if they're not playing somebody. But they, he at least in theory keeps that thing. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a. I mean, we all know this. I'm not breaking any news. It's a big game for Neil Brown and company. But I think, yeah. but I think same church, different pew. It's a big game for Narduzzi and, and, and Jerkovic and company, too, because they are teetering right on that line of losing all, just like that. Two weeks. They could lose all the goodwill that they built up over the last two seasons. Uh, and he again, we have we have a West. chance to be the ones to gas match. He was asked this week already. Hey, was there any point where you considered making a move at quarterback? He was already asked that. Mm-hmm. He sure was. Turbo and that's again know, we've we've got we've we've got an opportunity to uh to really kick them when they're down after the week that they've had. And like I said, I have I've been trying not to let my mind wander to that place because I don't want to get too excited. But that would be a a nice palate cleanser after what happened last year and 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 a, I think a good building point for us as well, too. All right, Jed, let's spin the block here. Part of it's that Wes. You talked about Rodney Hammond, let's hit, let's hit it here. Let's close with this. Nobody really knows who Rodney Hammond is at West Virginia, right? For a reason. If that stays true, I like our chances. Great, great call. Great call. If Mountaineer yeah. fans don't know who Rodney Hammond is come Sunday morning. I like our chances, but go ahead. Well said. Well said. Another thank you to Fortis for presenting this episode of ITG for roof performance and financial security guaranteed. Make sure you visit Fortis.us. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations. 
with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. Nobody supports the Blue and Gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student-athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guarantee to save you thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. Let's go, Mountaineer fans. You're tuned in to In the Gun with Wes, the runaway beer truck, and the signal caller. All right, Jed, other side of the ball, spin the block, Mountaineer offense, pit defense. What are we looking at? I don't think there's many secrets. Uh, Again, his culture is built on stopping the run. Uh, He wants to reduce you to one dimension and then set out attacking that dimension. He's done a great job over the course of the last four years in doing that. Number one in the last four years in the ACC against the run. Now, part of that, the way they track stats in the NCAA, they have the most sacks of any team in college football since 2019. So that's 199. It's 199 times right, the way they track stats in, in college football. Am I Am I disrupting again? You okay. just no, you just you yeah. just you kind of cut up there. You kind of cut there for a second, but we we got you. Okay, so again, they like to pressure you and they like to stop the run. Uh, so when you put that together, and what are you expecting them to come to do, do coming into West Virginia? Well, let, let's think about this. First of all, last year the Mountaineers ran for 190 yards against them. Do you think that's not been eaten away at Pat Narduzzi for 12 months now? Yeah. Compound that with the fact that last week, this guy that I'm telling you, I think he, I think Pat Narduzzi hates being run on more or at least as much as he hates losing. I really do. I really do. So a couple things that come to mind. His last game as D coordinator at Michigan State, they played Baylor in the Cotton Bowl. They gave up 603 yards passing. I'm not sure he cared at all. First of all, they found a way to win 42 to 41. Over the top, big play, don't care. Over the top, big play, don't care. I'm smashing the mouth. I'm stopping its point of attack. You're not going to run the ball me. You're not going to run the ball me. I remember Mason Rudolph in 2017. I remember studying this <laughs> game before we played Oklahoma State. In 2017, in a non-con game early in the season, Oklahoma State came to what was then Heinz Field. They shredded Pitt. I mean, Pitt's trying so, to run that so much coverage. Of so much showed downhill. So Jed, so much so that the Steelers drafted two guys from that Oklahoma State offense the next season. Yes, they looked at it. They said, "Hey, this Rudolph guy and James Washington, not so bad." So good quarters coverage against RPOs, deep ball, deep ball, deep ball. Oklahoma State had 516 total yards in the first half. 
because Narduzzi, being stubborn as he was, wanted to stop the run. Now, Oklahoma State ended up throwing for 572 yards that day, but they only ran for 104. Again, stop me when you see a pattern emerging. He doesn't want you to run the ball on him. So back it up. West Virginia ran for 190 last year. He's been seething over that, I promise you, all offseason. Last week, what did Cincinnati do? Cincinnati ran the ball for 216 yards. Now, to give you some perspective, that was just the fourth time in the last 54 games that a team has run for 200 yards on him. What do you think the defensive meeting room sounds like this week? I don't care what happens. They are not going to beat us running the football. They got a season battle-tested offensive line. They're three deep at running back. That's the strength and the very obvious strength of West Virginia's offense. They can't beat us running the football. So what does that mean? That means he's going to be willing and inclined. And even with Cincinnati, I'm watching early in the game. He's throwing six, seven, sometimes even eight, oh, and downhill uh, as resources toward the box. They're missing some tackles, and Cincinnati's actions actually popping some things to the second and third level in the run game. They had a jet sweep that Pitt failed to keep contained because they caught him in a run blitz on the interior. They weren't making plays, Pitt wasn't, but they were throwing numbers at the box. So I think you're going to see a smarter version of some of that. And what that means is it's going to come down to individual matchups, mono e mono on the perimeter, because you're going to have some single coverage opportunities if you're in that West Virginia receiver room. You're just going to. Now, the role that Garrett Green is going to need to play, first of all, when I look at Garrett Green, his skill set has always been he's a great deep ball thrower because first he spins it and he has the arm strength, but the deep ball is so much about timing, and he's always had that natural timing, structurally that timing that it takes, okay? So we know what he is when he tucks it and goes. He's one of the fastest kids on the team. He's a true lethal threat when he sees a crease and can go. But from a deep ball standpoint, in his career, if you look at deep balls, in other words, passes beyond 20 yards even, if you want to look at metrics, he's completed 44%. Now, I'm, not, I'm just saying when you reduce it down to that one element of their game, that's what it looks like. He can throw the deep ball and he can hurt you with his legs. So in that sense, if the receivers come through and win some of these single coverage matchups, I think Garrett Green is built to take advantage of what Pitt's going to try and do to yeah. defend you. Yeah. Because he's going to, he can throw the deep ball, but also, oh, and what happens when somebody drops numbers toward the box and they don't make the play at the point of attack and it does bust to the second level? That second level yeah, evaporates. And the next thing you know, there's no safety net. There's no catcher's net. And a guy like Garrett Green can see that, boom. Next thing you know, instruments up for the band so I, I think that potentially if the o-line plays like we know they can and if some wide outs on the perimeter make plays and i'm also interested to see what new wrinkles might we have with the six seven target we're so excited about we're seeing production out of in the tight end room what might we be able to accomplish if in fact garrett can either make a guy miss or even in the run game let's say on one of those zone reads Owen, he decides to tuck it because he sees the five technique pinch even in the run game, if you miss him, he can make you pay. Or for that matter, what if they miss a run fit and CJ gets to the second level? Again, that safety that safety net's gone. And when you look at what they're missing, what they're missing defensively, they have some kids back, no doubt about it. But I think they're missing two critical pieces to what they had defensively last year. We talked about 
the uh, defensive player of the year in the ACC. Uh, Kalaji Clancy was a disruptor on the defensive line. That D tackle, he was nasty. Uh, there's a reason he was drafted when he was a first round pick in the NFL draft. So he had, you know, 14 TFLs last year. He was consistently disruptive. But the guy that directed traffic and made things happen and set the table for them defensively was Servassier Dennis, the Mike backer. He's gone. Now, they have some talented, and I would even say watching tape, some smart backers. But Servassier Dennis really put them in position, made the calls. He was the quarterback of that unit. He had a great game against the Mountaineers. He had 10 tackles. He had a sack. He was very productive in us and played a critical role in that pit win last year. He's gone. So they might have some key pieces back, but they have some critical pieces to replace. And through two games, I'm not so sure that I've seen them quite yet replace those critical pieces up to the same standard. I mean, Devin, when you're looking, not Devonshire, but when you're looking at Dennis, we're going to Devonshire in a minute. But when you're looking at Servasia Dennis, that kid led them in tackles each of the last two seasons. He was the heartbeat of that defense. That's he was difficult. there. He was there. He was their emotional. He was their emotional leader. Absolutely, as well, too. he was. Yeah. Absolutely. And I remember watching them on tape last year. How impressed I was by him, both inside the lines and even some of the things after the play you'd see him do, or some of the things he'd do pre-snap, setting them up in the best spot. So they're not quite there yet. Now, over the course of a week, you might in fact see a much different team because I, I kind of look at it like this: it's they say the most improvements made between week one and week two. Well, when you're throwing an FCS team in the mix like we did and they did, that might not be as true. It might be week two to week three because now you really have two games on tape, one against a quality opponent, and you know what your weaknesses and your strengths are, and you can coach accordingly. So we might, in fact, see Pitt, for whatever shortcomings they've had through two games, addressed in week three, much like we hope we address our shortcomings. But that's kind of the nature of what they do. They're going to roll the dice. They're going to take some chances. And he wants to knock you off schedule, much like we talked about Penn State with Manny Diaz. What what he will do, what Pat Narduzzi will do, is take chances and roll the dice. There's a reason that he's forced 45 to takeaways in the last two years, 45 turnovers. Guys, Pitt has eight pick sixes in the last two years. Devonshire against us last year was one of eight in the last two years. They make their own fortune. They're around the football. They apply pressure. You have to play smart football, but more so than anything, you have to make the plays that are on the table for you to make. If you're going to roll the dice and, and say, hey, I'm going to disrupt you and knock you off schedule, but to do that, I'm going to take risks on my back end. Well, you need to make them pay for doing that. So whether it's Devin Carter, whether it's, dare we say, Hudson Clement, whether we say Cortez Braham, uh, don't look now, but our speed guy, EJ Horton, is about to make his first appearance. Mountaineer fans haven't seen him. It might even be as simple as a 40-yard incompletion to E.J. Horton just to scare him straight. I mean, it might be something like that. But, again, Garrett, love the deep ball he throws I always have. I think he's starting to take the next step as a an overall superintendent of the offense. That's the next step he needs to take. He's thrown the deep ball. He has the skill set as a dual threat. Now it's the little things that he's trying to manage, and he's getting better at doing so. But those are the some of the things that I look at when I see Pitt defensively. Yeah, uh, I guess it, just to piggyback off of what Jed said, offensively for us, I mean, we got to kind of basically manhandle Pitt's, uh, Pitt's D-line. That's That has to be a thing. Um, I like what I saw last week. I, I get it was Duquesne, but I like some of the plays that we were 
we were putting in. You know, uh, the biggest thing for me, if if a defense is going to load the box, or if they're going to bring a lot of pressure, like you said, Jed, we got to mm-hmm. air it out, right? We got to get them out of that whole scheme and and hurt them deep a couple times, and and that'll end pretty quickly. Um, it might just be me. I I want to be optimistic about this WVU team, but I've liked what I've seen out of every running back that's been on the field. I loved last week them really starting to trust their reads. Um, that's only going to benefit us in games to come uh, with more reps and uh, and that camaraderie that the uh, running backs have with the O line. And as far as our wide receiver goes, we haven't really even gotten to see what they can do because yeah. we've had an injury here, injury there. We got young guys stepping up. We really do have a lot of weapons. So it's going to be interesting what happens as far as play calling uh, right out the gate. I'd like to really see us start quick because yeah. I feel like, atmosphere is going to be jumping it's going to be jamming son let's get that first tutty in there quick you know what i mean first series um and 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 then just kind of watch the uh the tumble happen as the game goes on maybe get a three and out and then just watch the backs of the panthers just absolutely crush but yeah. i and think make, that's make them make them play from behind again too right owen yeah, yeah. and that's going to be Rodney super Hammond hard six carries game like, I mean, that's, right yeah, yeah. make it's, them chase it they, that's the that's the one thing a pat narduzzi team that never wants to do is have to chase the game yeah it, it'd be super hard to play in mountaineer field with a pipe and hot stadium and a bunch of i mean i'm gonna tell you guys it, it, 7 30 kick people are gonna be tuned up son yeah, I, that's, that's why I laugh at these people from Pittsburgh who think like, oh, well, WVU fans aren't really stoked on the state of their program. Yeah, so it's just good. Brother, we, we we could be 0 and 11. If Pitt's coming to town, Pitt's coming to town. It's that's it's, it. it's that's it. Like that's these, it. They, and again, they don't understand. I mean, and some of them do. We we like to make our jokes and and it's it's nowhere near the passion of WVU but Pitt obviously does have what Jed six or seven really passionate fans like they those do, ones yeah. get it six, those ones seven. Okay, six and a half six and a half maybe okay. they might be raised they might be raising another one as we speak um the, they they like I, the real Pitt fans the ones who actually follow their team in the good times and the bad and not just when they want to be front runners when things are going well they understand that it's going to be a hornet's nest down there, down there Saturday night. And I, I do wonder too, you know, last year Pitt lost a lot of those emotional leaders that we were kind of just they're all five of their offensive yeah. linemen were, were returning guys. You know, Izzy yeah. was a big, was a big part of that Bartholomew, the tight end, although he's still there to be fair. Um, but on defense, you mentioned Cervakia Dennis, you mentioned Kaliza Cansey, John Morgan, another one, one of their defensive linemen who was a big yeah. emotional, good player, physical, emotional guy for them. I, I wonder what that's going to be like, because they they haven't stepped into a lot of these guys haven't stepped into an atmosphere like this on the road, right? Because we can say that about the same same with a lot of guys on our team haven't stepped into an atmosphere like this quite yet, or at least as starters, right? Um, yeah. But it's 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 different when it's your atmosphere at home as opposed to Absolutely. to going as opposed to going on the road and and doing it. So I I I, you, I I wonder how that plays out too. To give you some sense, uh, again, what they're going to do conceptually, and and you can have, have answers to this. Uh, I don't want to give the 
the impression they're, they're a big cover zero team. They're just going to bring the house every snap and go true man with no safety. That's not necessarily the case with what he does structurally. He's more of a – he's a quarters-based defense. Now, I, I do think it serves us well that we played Penn State first. That's another even front defense that runs a lot of these fire zone blitzes, somewhat similar looks. I think the difference would be Pitt tends to have far more aggressive – safeties against the run that's under ordinary circumstances now when you compound that to what i was saying earlier the disposition that narduzzi is most likely going to have this in this game more than normal even to he was run on last week by cincinnati he was run on last year by us he doesn't want that to happen so for, for those listening at home or watching at home just envision this if you have quarters coverage that literally means there's four defenders across the back end of the coverage that's the shell of the coverage so you got two corners and you got two safeties now there's different ways you can play quarters coverage what tends to happen is if the routes push vertical it kind of becomes cover zero because it turns into true man all right but but have flat players underneath zone flat players but what Pitt does sometimes if four routes don't push vertical the safeties are there to help the corner vertical that's the idea of the coverage because they got yeah. the, those two middle quarters. But what Pitt does instead, when they when their safeties become overactive, they kind of dip and nibble toward the box. So what ends up happening, a, a typical cover four corner might think, well, I got help on that skinny post in that middle quarter. Well, with Pitt, maybe not quite so much if their safety's that aggressively playing downhill. Because you got to hold your own. And if that wideout goes vertical, now you got him on that skinny post because that safety is now a box player, even yeah. if it, he's triggered by the snap. I mean, he might have a run fit. And and normally what you'll see, oh, oh and you know this, if, if you have even active safeties and quarters coverage, a lot of it's post-snap, sometimes pre-snap by alignment. You'll see Pitt doing this. You'll see the safeties kick down low. And you're like, dude, what are you doing? Man, you're really pushing the envelope with, with your depth. But they, they tend to do that more than a lot of defenses do, and that's because of, of Narduzzi's aggressive nature to stop the run and outnumber you. So if you think RPO, even if you don't have to go vertical and if you want to go RPO, we talked in the last episode how we went RPO on the goal line against Duquesne. The same kind of philosophy holds true. You're going to have what we call a conflict defender, and that's who the quarterback, in this case Garrett's, going to read. So he has a conflict defender. So we might have a zone play call. And he puts the ball in the belly of CJ, and he's reading that conflict defender. Let's say it's the safety. Well, if the safety kicks downhill, now you have a route coming behind that safety to throw and fill that void. But what it takes, that receiver has to beat that corner on that route. And if you do, you got to play. If the corner or if the safety doesn't come down as aggressively, well, now you can give. And, and I also think this could be one of those games that, again, if we're celebrating on Sunday morning, one of the reasons is we're talking about what a great job in pass pro CJ did, what a great job in pass pro Jalen did. So that's going to have to play a role as well. They're going to have to man up and do what we've seen them do from a pass protection standpoint. And it's the kind of game, Owen, that I, I think over the course of, of the time they'll spend at West Virginia, it's gonna, this is the tape that scouts will come back and watch, these types of games. We have to be a complete back. Yeah, You're going to have to be productive in the yeah. downhill oh, yeah. game, but you're also going to be asked to punch somebody in the mouth when they come running free as a defender off your key. So uh, that's kind of what I'm looking at here. Now, if we're tall to the challenge, the plays are there to be made, but it, so much of it's going to be incumbent. Can the wideouts and single coverage opportunities beat that guy and make plays? And then can Garrett execute with the appropriate read and the appropriate throw? And so there's a lot of ifs, but they're trying to outnumber you and force the issue quickly. 
So they don't want to be patient. They don't want to sit you, let, let you sit back there and carve them up. They're going to force the issue. Something's going to happen fast. Yeah. That something is either they're going to knock you backwards behind the sticks or you're going to make a play downfield. Because when you think of these types of coverages, normally what I would always coach my quarterbacks and the way I viewed it, you're thinking two areas of the field are suspect. Two areas of the field can be most readily attacked. Deep middle, quick flat. Deep middle, quick flat. So those are the two areas that you can exploit, but it takes execution and just individual Jimmys and Joes to be able to do that. Yeah, just do your job. Do your job, Bill Belichick. Do your job. All and right, Jed, we're – While we haven't even mentioned special teams, number one in the ACC last year in punt returns. Let's hope he doesn't touch a punt return. But Yeah, let's, let's, let's hope not. Um, all right, gentlemen, we're over an hour already. Uh, final thoughts, final words, wherever you want to go to get us out of here. I'm going to ask you, who's your John Pennington in this game? Is there a John Pennington? And if so, who's your John? Yeah, Pennington? I got I got mine. You guys go first. I'm gonna say it's big again. Say wait, say that again, Owen. You broke up there a little bit. So 84 is coming up big again. Okay. All right. I'm going I'm going 80. I'm going 87, Cole Taylor. I'm going Trey Latham. Ooh, I like it. I'm going Trey Latham. I like it. Listen, I don't care who it is. Somebody just make a play out there, baby. Yes, indeed. <sighs> uh, if you're watching, if you're watching here on YouTube, I uh, have had this behind me the whole time we've been doing this podcast. But... Here we go, boys. That's what it. That's what it's all about on Saturday night. Beat Pitt, and to close us down, I figured it'll only be apropos. If we repeated what Mrs. Fleming told Jack when he was a young boy when those Pitt Panthers came to Morgantown, son, that's Pitt. You hate Pitt now. You hate Pitt tomorrow. You hate Pitt until the day you die. And then after that, you hate Pitt for all eternity. Well said, Mama Fleming. Let's get her done, boys. I'm fired up. You guys, listen, baby, let's do it. This, this game means a lot to every WVU fan. I am not special in that regard, but when you live and breathe and work around these turtleneck wearing dorks, uh, 365 days a year, like I do this, this is a big one. And we're going to be fired up on Saturday night. If you're going to the game, do your part. That's all. That's, that's all I'm asking is do is do your part. If you're going to the game on Saturday night. Yeah. Show up and Hey, electric. If you guys want to see old Wesley over here and myself, because I'll Good be call. there. Good call. Peach lot. Peach lot. Look for the WVU Grateful Dead flag. That's where you'll find us. We'll that, be there. Passing out in the gun stickers. <laughs> passing out in the gun. Passing out in the gun stickers. Maybe passing out some cold ones as well, too. You never know what you're going to get at our at our rowdy tailgate in the peach lot. But, yeah, come on by. Say hello. Um, and let's, man, let's uh, let's make Saturday night a memorable one. One of those games that that like Chad Pennington, that like Tyler Bitten, Kurt, right? We'll be we'll be talking about this one, like Chad Johnson, right? We'll be talking about this one for uh for years and years and years to come. So it was there's 33, our thirty-three nine and one West against us through nineteen fifty. Thirty-three nine and one through nineteen fifty. Since then, we had the edge in the rivalry, twenty nineteen and two. We we've won more than they have since nineteen fifty in the modern era. Jed, before last year, right, and the rivalry was renewed and Pitt's 1-0 and in this new age of conference realignment and, and everything, 
the oldest Pitt fan who could claim they had a winning record against WVU in their lifetime was 77 years old. Wow. So let's get, let's get back on track. We win Saturday night. The oldest Pitt fan alive that can claim that they have a winning record against us will be 78 years old. I can do the math on that one. Huh? You see there you go. I like what it. I did there. Uh, great stuff, guys. This was a lot of fun. And uh, let's, uh, let's get it moving in the right direction. Let's, uh, let's have some fun Saturday night. And let's uh, surprise some people out there in the process as well, too. So that'll do it for us for this edition of ITG. Reminder, though, tomorrow we got Phil Friday. He will break down nationally some of the big games as well, too, like he always does. I'm interested to hear Phil's thoughts on Florida and Tennessee. Um, and, uh, of course, he will give his thoughts on the backyard brawl as well, too. So plenty more to bring you this week. Uh, as always, the one thing we ask of you is to be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WVU football podcast. Thanks to our guy Skyler for putting this all together. And for Jed Drenning and Owen Schmidt, I'm Wesley Euler. Let's beat the hell out of Pitt. You've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.